0: Welcome to Don't Get in the Van. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Mandy. And today Mandy's going to bring us the second episode in our series about serial killer couples. So I guess without further ado, just go ahead and take it away. (laughs) All right. This week is so messed up. I mean,
1: so was yours. i have just, you know, I feel like I could research this case. Forever, And I probably still just get all the same information. Well, maybe, maybe I'll get to that. But it's just one of the most fucked up things I've ever heard about children in general. I mean, these we're talking about adults here, ultimately, but like I'm going through their background and it's so messed up. And I would like to have a conversation about that, too, because it makes me feel bad for these people. Um, and I don't feel bad about their what they ultimately do, but just horrible childhoods, horrible we're starting with Henry Lee Lucas, okay? Okay. Oh my God. Okay. Henry Lee Lucas was born in Blacksburg, Virginia, just a small town in Virginia, August 3rd, 1936. His father, his name was Anderson, but they called him Anderson No Legs Lucas because he lost his legs in an alcoholic, like, railroad accident. Oh. Horrible. He obviously wasn't able to work anymore, and this is in 1936, so the technology is not there to help this man at all. Yeah. But he ends up, like, manufacturing alcohol illegally, and that leads him to, you know, becoming more of an alcoholic than he already was. Okay. So, yeah, he's just... He's not doing well in general, and it gets more kind of horrible, but... Ultimately in 1949, he passes away from hypothermia. And they say it's after him he was passed out drunk in a blizzard. But they also say that maybe he pulled himself outside in order to commit yes. kind of a strange way to commit suicide, I guess, by hypothermia and a blizzard. But he that's there's many, many theories about many, many things in this case, but he had a lot of trauma in general and even after his legs had been lost. um, Yeah, he was just a very, very unhappy person. All right. This lady who Lucas's mother Viola Dixon. Lucas was a sex worker as well as an alcoholic. And she was definitely the ruler of the house. She was mean, super, super mean, super aggressive. They lived in this dilapidated like one room log cabin with a dirt floor. And I've seen pictures of it. It literally looked like a shack. I I always talk about shacks. It literally looked like a shack that was going to fall apart. And remember, there's a dirt floor. That has to be kind of cold, too. This sounds like a shack. It is a shack. Yeah, you were like, that's not a shack. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Lucas was the youngest of their nine children. Some people say that she had up to 30 children but like I said, there's lots of rumors out there, right? But in their family, nine children. But remember, she's a sex worker and we don't know if she had more children. I don't know. But she could have. I mean, I doubt they're using protection back then.
0: Well, it's like the 40s so...
1: Alright, there was an occurrence where Lucas henry lee lucas when he was i think he was around five maybe he was four he tried to take some food off of his father's plate and he got in tons of trouble for it he was really hungry and they didn't have a lot so he was trying to take some food off of his dad's plate he gets in a ton of trouble ever since that point he has to sleep in the chicken coop and i'm not kidding i know what the hell this doesn't sound much different from sleeping on in, a, in except, a shack
0: with dirt floors. Except
1: there was something I was reading about: the chemicals in chicken poop can like really cause like mental stuff, like mental issues. Uh, yeah, I believe that. I mean, you're sleeping around chicken shit like all the time, and you have to smell horrible, right? Anyway, he was beaten by his mother, sent to the chicken coop, and never to return to the one room, dirt floor, log cabin, or whatever you want to call it, log shacker. So by the time he went to school when he was five so he must have been like four he smelled horrible and the teacher would place him by the window but it wasn't even so mean i'm just like imagine this poor little kid that's just stinky and sleeping in the chicken coop and his mom's an asshole and his dad's a drunk and you know he's sitting by the window and everybody's making fun of him horrible and then at one point you know the school's like listen This is just not acceptable anymore. Like, he smells. He has got to get clean. You've got to clean your kid. So, she goes, Viola, goes to school, grabs him, drags him through town, takes him to a pond on their property, and almost drowns him by violently washing him. Like, he says later that he felt like he was going to drown. He remembers all this, of course, because it's traumatizing. And they say that... uh, there's many things again, but that she violently washed him and molested him at this point. And then she said, if they want him to be a pretty smelling little girl, then that's what we'll give them. So she dressed him up in some of his sister's clothes and paraded him back across town back to school and made him wear girls' clothes to school. Because she was offended that he couldn't smell like a boy. you know. But that's not even smelling like a boy. That's that's horrific. The looks on your face. <laughs> All right. So she, remember, she's a sex worker and remember that her husband can't go anywhere, right? Okay. He has no legs, he cannot leave. Yeah. So she would bring, she'd have sex with her clients in the house, in the one room, dirt floor shack. Oh, God. Yeah. And she would have her husband watch her and he and he couldn't go anywhere. That's torture. She charged 10 cents per customer. And she would do these sex acts in the bed that she shared with her husband. And she would beat her husband. Um, She always, like I said, wanted him in the room during her, quote, work. And she also would make Henry Lee Lucas sit in the room. A lot of times during her work, she was out of all of her nine or however many children she was most cruel to Henry Lee Lucas for some reason. She just had it out for him. I don't understand how you have a child and you have it out for him like that. It's very strange to me. But she did because he was stinky and just just didn't he just didn't have any friends. OK, he had a hard time communicating with other people. His brothers and sisters didn't hang out with him ever because he was so just, like, sought after, like, abused by his mom that they were like, fuck this. I am not getting involved with this other kid because she's going to come after me next, right? So, they stayed away from him. So, the kid's by himself. He's sleeping in the chicken coop. He's five, okay? So, he has no friends. And then, uh, at one point, he befriended the neighbor's uh, donkey or a mule, And he would visit it on the way to school and all the way, um, you know, back from school. And at one point, the neighbor was like, yeah, you know, I don't don't even want this mule or donkey anymore. So you can have it. He was just like, what? He was so excited, right? Because that was his friend. So he brings it home. And when his mother, Viola, saw the donkey, she was like, okay, this is making him happy. That's not acceptable. So she goes inside, gets her shotgun and shoots it in the head in front of him while he's standing right next to it. And then she gets really pissed because she's like, now I have a dead donkey to get rid of. Well, that's your fucking fault, you crazy bitch. But she starts beating Henry until he's unconscious because she was so pissed about the whole situation. And this starts her habit of beating him on a regular basis. So this kid definitely is extremely abused. And remember, he's only five around this time. All right. In 1945, when he is nine years old, Viola is with a customer, OK, in her room, torturing her husband and getting ten cents and she calls. I don't know why. I don't know if it was after she was done or during her. I don't know. But she called for Henry to come to her. Maybe she wanted to torture him again by having him watch. I don't know. But she's calling him and he doesn't answer. But he was out kind of across the property a little bit by a fence. She calls him again. He doesn't answer. So she's fucking pissed. So she gets up. She goes outside and she finds him over by a fence. And she just, she was just so mad she didn't even start to question him. She picks up a two-by-four and it's for they were fixing a fence over there. She picks up one of those fence post two-by-fours and just smacks him across the head with it. So he's knocked unconscious. She goes back, finishes whatever she's doing, doesn't think about it. But remember, he's not coming back into the cabin. He goes into his chicken coop, but still nobody checked on him and he's nine at this point. So nobody checks on him. The next day, she just thinks like, oh, I haven't seen him in a while. I wonder where he is. So she goes back out to the fence and he's still laying there. So this is the next day. So she just two of her other sons drag him into the cabin and they just kind of put him in the corner. Another day goes by and she has a pimp, called Uncle Bernie. What the f- Oh, my God. This just can't get any crazier. (laughs) I mean, it does. So, Uncle Bernie comes in, and he's like, okay, what's going on with this child? And so he gets the kid. He takes him to the doctor in town. And thank God for the pimp, I guess, right? Which,
0: what a (laughs) horrible- What a- What a thing to say. It's true, though. That poor kid. So the doctor- I wasn't ready for this. Today. <laughs> Gotta be ready. Oh,
1: my God. So the doctor cannot believe that this kid is still alive. He's like, okay. He wasn't just unconscious. He was in a full-blown coma, coma
0: for three days. Well, he had to be if he was still laying out there.
1: And nobody, I mean, nobody even cared. And then you just pull him inside your house and just leave him there? Oh, well, maybe he'll wake up at some point. Anyway, this injury leads him to have seizures on many occasions. And actually... He ends up later, and I think this is when he's in custody, has a brain scan. And it shows that he has frontal and temporal lobe damage, like pretty severe. And, I mean, he was beaten constantly. But your frontal lobe is, um, it's your compassion and your empathy. So if that's damaged, you're lacking those skills, correct? Right. Your temporal lobe is your impulse control. So if that gets damaged, you're losing your control of Acting up on your impulses, right? All right. It gets worse. In 1946, he suffers another injury. So he and his brothers... So his brothers and sisters start kind of paying attention to him now after he has seizures. And I guess they're finally starting to feel a little bit bad for him. But he and one of his brothers were having a knife fight because that's what you do. Uh, You play with knives uh, to pass the time. This is pretty intense. So he and his brother playing with their knives, and his brother accidentally stabs Henry in the eye. Accidentally? Yeah. Like, you know, they're just, like, sword fighting, kind of, and nicks him in the eye. And Henry remembers his eye popped. Oh, oh God. So you can... I know. And he said that he just felt, like, his eye pretty much, like, disintegrate, right? Horrific. And when his mom sees this do you think she does anything? No, she does not. She does nothing. So this kid just had a horrific accident with his eye and he, he's lost his eye for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there's still something there, but she doesn't give a shit. She does not care. So he, uh, just, he just goes on with, I mean, just begin a kid for a while. And then eventually there is an infection. And eventually, he has to go back to the doctor. And do you think she takes him? Guess who takes him? The pimp. The pimp. So he takes him. Uh, They remove.
0: What is this pimp telling them at the hospital that happened to the kid? I don't think that they care at this point. Well, I guess it's so, like, far back in the day that it wasn't like they were running around making sure yeah. that everybody was, yeah, like, yeah. you could beat your kids back then and nobody right. said shit about it. This is 1946. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he could have been like, hey, I'm Uncle Bernie. That's what they called him. So yeah. I'm, I'm their uncle. You know, he had an accident with his, with his brother. I mean, whatever. So they end up, his eye was so badly infected and everything, they and remove everything, it. they clean it, and then they actually replace it with a glass eye. Thank God. Well, I mean, do you want a hole there or do you want to go after? No, eye? but I just the bleh. I know, it's awful. It's awful. Okay. He's not even eleven yet, so now he's eleven. Okay. It's a Probably lot of stuff glass to put eye. In. Yep. He
0: sleeps in a chicken coop. Yep. This kid is fucked. Yep. So he was drinking as well because of course, you know, why wouldn't he? Well, can you imagine how painful your having your eye stabbed would be? And having seizures because your mom beat you over the head with a two by four? I'm not even worried about the seizures. I'm worried about <laughs> the fucking shock that he was in because of the amount of pain that he was in after oh. his eye got slashed. And, like, because literally disintegrated. Well, you know, when I was a vet tech, we had somebody come in after their five-year-old had stabbed their dog in the eyeball. Oh, my God. With a pencil, but they let the dog... She didn't have any money to take care of it, so she waited like a week before she even bothered to call to ask about anything to see how much the appointment was going to be. And then we told her, and we were like, look, don't even worry about it. Like, we'll just give you pain medication because this dog has got to be absolutely miserable. And when he finally came in, he was just like, shaking and in full-on shock. It was a little, like, Boston Terrier, and he was in full shock. And the only reason she didn't want to bring him in is because she thought her kid would get in trouble. And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, he was old enough to know you don't stab a dog in the eyeball with a pencil. But, like, what are we going to fucking do? Who are we going to tell? You know what I mean? Like, at least help the dog. Right. Did the dog lose its eyesight? Oh, we had to take... We had to enucleate the eye. We had to take it out. God. But it... Because there was no saving it at that point. And not to mention the fact that they can go septic yeah if you don't which can go to their brain exactly which is another thing where i'm like surprised that this kid like i don't know how long he lasted without his fucking eye but i can't believe he didn't get septic and just fucking die from it right
1: oh my god not
0: to mention i'm sure he was just in full-on fucking shock walking around for however long because of the amount of pain he was in from getting his eye stabbed
1: right well and you have no one you can go to that's going to give you any comfort either because your mom's a crazy bitch well they don't
0: have pain medication for that kind of shit back then probably not not for real oh my god Not like something you can just have at your house. No. There's no Tylenol. There's no Excedrin. All right. By age
1: 11, so like I said, he was drinking. And his older
0: half-brother... I'm sorry. That was his medicine. Drinking. Drinking, yeah. (laughs) That's what they did. They're like, oh, we have to clean that? Let's pour some whiskey on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just get drunk. We'll fucking numb the pain a little bit, right? I
1: guess. So his older Ugh. half-brother and Uncle Bernie introduced him to bestiality. So sex with animals. And animal torture. And he started with squirrels and rabbits and moved on to any animal. Lucas would only go up to the fourth grade in school. Okay, in 1951, so his dad has passed away at this point. Uh, he is 15 years old. And he had his first human sexual experience. But he abducted an unknown teenage girl from a bus stop, killed her, and had sex with her dead body because he becomes like real big into necrophilia. But also think about it that four years ago he was introduced to bestiality and that was usually with a deceased animal. So that's what they're kind of grooming this child to. I mean, remember, he is massive. I am not saying that any of this is right. Not at all. But this kid didn't have a chance either. Look at who he's around. He has massive head trauma. He's lost his fucking eye. I mean, there's no hope, okay? So he goes down fucking hell. A year later, he's 16. He receives his first prison sentence when he and two of his half-brothers are arrested for burglary. He spends a year at a school for juvenile delinquents in Beaumont, and it has electricity and running water, so he is fine with that. He's like, I will stay here. I don't go. Yeah, I
0: bet. Right? I don't want to go back. <laughs> it to sounds that. like a fucking mansion compared to where he's yeah. been. He's like, it was luxurious. I yeah, I bet. So he's like, staying here.
1: All right. Two years later, so he was he was let go obviously. Released. But um, two years later, he's sentenced to six years incarceration for a dozen counts of burglary, <laughs> and he's fine with that too. He's like, that's fine. I'll stay here. But then five years later. No. Yes. Five years later, uh, he's released. So then he's like, "Okay, I'm done with uh, Virginia. I'm done with this crazy bitch mother of mine. I got to go. So his older sister, Opal, lived in Tecumseh, Michigan. So he moves in with his sister. He's like, goodbye, Virginia, goes to goes to Michigan. And he becomes engaged to a girl named Stella. And he's actually kind of doing okay at this point. You know, he was just in love with this girl. And his sister was super happy. She's like, my little brother is not, like, a shit show right now. This is great. He's engaged. I want to spread the news. So she starts calling all of her family. Or writing her family or however they communicate at this point. That was not the best idea because... Yeah, I'm sure his mom's going to find some way to fuck it up. Mm -hmm. So his mom finds out. And she's pissed. She's like, why would Henry be happy? That's not acceptable, right? And I think he's about 23. Yeah, he's 23 at this point. So she doesn't need to be part of anything. But she's like, all right, I'm having trouble with my business. But think about it. She was already older. And now she's... Older than she was. I mean, yeah, you're going to have your business is going to kind of dry up a little bit. Right. And yeah, you're (laughs) not really the demographic
0: they're looking for anymore. Not
1: anymore. (laughs) She actually shot one of her customers in his leg. And that didn't do well for her business either, because who wants to go to her house if she's not going to if she's, you know, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, she was like, Henry's not getting married. I want him to get his butt right back here and he can take care of me in my older age. Her, his dad's gone. Her business dried up. She needs someone to take care of her, she says. So she uh, buys a bus ticket and she heads to Michigan. She gets to Michigan. Um, he is at a bar with his fiance and they're just kind of celebrating their engagement. She shows up at the bar. Crazy Viola. And they get into this huge argument and she starts hitting him. And she also hit his fiance. And Stella's like, no, this is crazy. Like I'm not gonna be part of this. I'm sorry. Like, I care about you, but I don't want to be part of this crazy family. So she she is gone. She's like see you later. So I mean that's that was the one good thing he had going for him, and Viola fucks that up as well, right? Mm-hmm. So she gets kicked out of the bar, Viola, and Henry is like, I'm standing here. He's like, I'm just gonna drink, I'm gonna hang out. I like he's numbing his pain, right?
0: He said yeah, you don't
1: want to leave the bar and then be subject to her bullshit again. No. And she gets kicked out, so this is your, like, only safe place, right? So he goes back to his sister's place, and he decides just, he's like, I'm just going to go to bed. I don't want to see my mother. I don't want to talk about anything. I just want to go to bed. So he says about half an hour after he goes to bed, he's woken up because Viola starts beating him with a broom handle in his sleep. Okay? Okay. So he just was like, I snapped. He's like, I just snapped, and he had a knife. I don't know where he had it, or he just keeps keeps a knife by him, or he grabbed one. I don't know, but he ends up stabbing her in the neck, and she loses a ton of blood. And he says, all I remember was slapping her alongside the neck. But after I did that, I saw her fall and decided to grab her. But then she fell to the floor, and when I went back to pick her up, I realized she was dead. Then I noticed I had my knife in my hands, and she had been cut. But what actually ended up happening was she wasn't completely dead. She ended up later having a fatal heart attack because of all the blood that was lost from her injury. But now she's dead. So now no more Viola. Sounds, sounds like it was for the best. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. So he claims self defense, but he's found guilty of second degree murder and he's sentenced to 20 to 40 years in prison for killing his mother. So even in death, she's plaguing him, right? And he says that he starts hearing her in his head. I know, it's so like, fuck, you can't get rid of this woman. She's like the worst. So he says he keeps hearing her tell him to kill himself. And he makes a couple suicide attempts. He's admitted, well, first he's sent to Jackson State Penitentiary in Southern Michigan. But after his two attempted suicide, um, after two attempted suicides, he's admitted to Ionia State Mental Hospital. And he receives therapy and sedatives and electroconvulsive therapy. It's just crazy. As if his brain wasn't already fucked enough, now they're giving him electrotherapy? Yep. And remember, he, like, has seizures, He's now having electroconvulsive. So they're kind of making him have seizures, right? Right. So this is no good. Just none of it's good. I mean. Them and their fucking shock therapy back in the the day. What the fuck? It's like bloodletting and all that shit. It's like, here, let's put leeches all over your body and then electrocute you. You're like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's just such a mess. God. Lobotomies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh,
0: lobotomies. Oh, my God.
1: (sighs) All right. So at this mental hospital. He is given a job in filing. I don't think this was the best idea. Um, And he's able. He's
0: filing things. He's filing.
1: But guess what he's filing? Um, He's filing criminals files. So he's able to study like behaviors and crimes and like the tricks that people used to kind of avoid arrest and avoid avoid being caught for crimes that they committed. And he's smart enough to be able to. I mean, he has nothing else to do. So, he's just putting all this focus on that. I don't think he's, okay. he's not the smartest person, but he's not a complete idiot. So, he's able to, okay. you know, grasp some of this, right? Did we ever get, like, a, um IQ on this guy? Somewhere between, like, 75 and 85, I think. Like I said, he's had time to, you know, look over these files. He was a filer for 10 years. 10 years? Yeah, so he, I mean, after a while, you're going to get some of that stuck in your head, right? Mm-hmm. So in 1970, he is paroled, but only paroled because there's prison overcrowding. I was going to say, I knew it. (laughs) No room for him.
0: No room. So just let's let him go. He's already been here for 10 years. He's done enough.
1: So he says, when they put me out on parole, I said, I'm not ready to go. I told them all, the warden, the psychologist, everyone that I was going to kill. And they let him go anyway. They let him go. Because there's no room for you, Henry. That's the one that you make room for. You make room for him. He needs some help, and he's asking you for help. So maybe you should listen. All right. Yeah. How often do you get that? Somebody says like, "Hey, dude, like, don't let me go because I feel fucked up. (laughs)
0: I'm gonna kill somebody." Yes. Okay. All right. See you soon after (laughs) I kill somebody, (laughs) and I come right back. Oh Oh, boy. Alright, this I told you. I, I wasn't ready. I know. This is what I'm talking about. I wasn't you really you've been like texting me all week just being like you have no fucking idea. This is just <laughs> I'm like, I was not ready. <laughs> You're never being I don't ready. even know how the fuck you got through researching this. I would have quit and been like, I can't. It's I yeah, I did a
1: lot of research too, and I actually yeah, we'll get there. Oh okay. my god. Okay. Okay. In nineteen seventy one, this is a year after he's released from prison. Guess what? He's arrested. (laughs) For killing somebody? Well, he was arrested and sentenced to five years for attempting to kidnap, but molesting three schoolgirls at gunpoint. So, sexual assault and attempted kidnapping. So, while serving his time for this crime, he began corresponding with Betty Crawford. And Betty Crawford and Henry are married in 1975. But... The marriage ends two years later when she accused him of molesting her three daughters, which he did. Oh, God. And she said, you can leave or I can call the police. So he left. And at this point, he starts drifting around the American South, supporting himself through various odd jobs. He met another woman, Rhonda Knuckles, and he stayed with her for a while (sighs) until rumors of molesting again start and a mob is out to get him. So the town is like, fuck you, you molesting freak. And we're going to fuck you up, right? So he leaves town. Okay. Because there's no other choice or he's going to get his ass kicked. He decides to run off. And this time he finds himself in Florida. And he's in line at a soup of kitchen. Of course he finds himself in Florida. Of course he does. So he's in line at a soup kitchen. And we're going to stop on his story right there. And we're going to move on to his partner in crime, Otis Elwood Tool. Okay? Okay. So this Get ready for some more. I have never heard two childhoods that are with this messed up before in my entire life ever. It's horrible. Okay, here we go. So his name's Otis. I think a lot of people call him Otis, but it is Otis. So Otis Elwood Toole. He's born March 5th, 1947 and raised in Jacksonville, Florida, in an area with lots of boarded up houses and not a lot of opportunities. Well, okay, so he was the youngest of five kids. And his father, Bill Tool, was a piece of shit. So he's an alcoholic, and he ends up abandoning abandoning his family. And his mother, Sarah, she's pretty abusive as well. So his father would like to have parties. So pretty much that was just bringing his drunk friends around. And to torture his little five-year-old, he would along with his wife, Sarah, dress the little boy up in girls' clothing, call him Susan, and have him bring drinks to his friends. So he was like a little waitress for them. Um, like I said, he's about five at this time. And he also, one of the father's nasty friends, looked at little Otis or Susan, whatever, and was sexually roused by him. So he ends up molesting him. And his father is like, huh, this is a great idea. So I could make money off of whoring out my five year old to all my drunk friends. So that's what he starts to do in order to get some extra income. So he's pimping out a son, pretty much, and he's five. So as a young child, Ada says he was a victim of sexual assault and incest by close relatives and acquaintances, including his older sister. And his next door neighbor. And his mother would call him a whore and a slut as if these situations were were in his control. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Oh my God. One day in 1956, Otis was running on the front porch, and it is a dilapidated front porch. It's shitty. And one of the old boards breaks, and it causes him to fall. So he falls on his face, and a nail. Oh it's god. stuck in his head from this fall, two inches from his brain. And his mom just pulls it out. Pulls it straight out of his head. It's in his skull. Pulls it out of his head. And she does not take him to the doctor. So at this point, he starts having seizures. So do you see where some of these similarities are with these two poor people? Oh, my God. All right. Around this time, he's like, Okay, I'm going to go live with my grandmother. So he goes to live with his grandmother. But he claims, and I don't know if this is the truth or not. He claims his grandmother was a Satanist who exposed him to various satanic practices and rituals throughout his youth, including self-mutilation and grave robbing, such as digging up bones in the cemetery. And he's quoted as, he's quoted as saying, I really got into that, got into devil worship all the way. All right, so he felt like he knew he was a homosexual when he was 10 years old, and he claimed to have a sexual relationship with a neighborhood boy. When he was 12 years old, he dropped out of school in the ninth grade and began visiting gay bars. He also claimed to have been a male sex worker as a teenager and became obsessed with gay pornography. Tool was classified as having an intellectual disability with an IQ of 75. He had ADHD, dyslexia, and epilepsy, and he frequently had grand mal seizures. That's pretty serious.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He had little education and was barely able to read or write. And throughout his childhood, he frequently ran away from home and often slept in abandoned houses. And with these abandoned houses became his kind of obsession with arson. So sometimes he would just burn the houses down okay. and he was said to kind of be a little bit of aroused by this as well right so he was an arson and it was sexually aroused we'll by. see where this is going oh all right To wet the bed too i don't know <laughs> Toul said he committed his first murder at age 14. So fleeing from his difficult home life, he, like I said, was a regular runaway. Right. And he met this older traveling salesman. And remember, he was a sex worker, too, right, to get some money. But the sex worker took him into the woods and he violently sodomized Otis. And Otis was not down for this at all. And after he was attacked. Uh, the guy was didn't notice that Otis disappeared, and he was like, where the fuck did he go? Well, he got in the guy's car, and he ran him over. Oh, and yeah. that wasn't enough, so he backed up and ran him over again. That's his first kill, was the guy that violently attacked him. But remember, this poor guy, and he's only 14 at this point, but he has been molested starting at age 5. All right. When he is 17 years old in August of 1964, he is arrested for the first time for loitering with intent, which is a lesser kind of sexual uh, sex worker charge. He got six months in jail for that. In 1965, he got out of prison, stole a car and began drifting around the southwestern United States and supported himself by sex work and panhandling. He moves to Nebraska, and he becomes one of the prime suspects in a 1974 murder of 24-year-old Patricia Webb. Shortly after he is a prime suspect, he gets away from Nebraska and briefly settles in Boulder, Colorado. One month later, he becomes a prime suspect in the homicide of 31-year-old Ellen Holman, who was murdered on October 14, 1974. She was abducted and shot in the head three times. And so with that accusation in Colorado, he leaves Boulder and he heads to Jacksonville, Florida. So that's where he was born in early 1975. Okay, we are back to the soup kitchen. All right. So 1976, Lucas meets Tool at the soup kitchen in Florida and they just start talking. And I don't know how it gets to this point so fast, but they decide they have lots in common. So (laughs) They're bonding over both having the understanding of abuse and just, yeah. All right. So they decide to go to a bar and Tool, you know, he's outwardly homosexual. He decides he's going to cross dress at this bar. This is 1976. They end up getting into a fight with a few locals who do not agree with Otis's choice of dress and they're beating him up and whatever. Like Otis and Lucas are like, you know, fine. They're like holding their own. But then more locals start coming out of the bar and more locals and more. And they're like, yep, we got to go. We can't take them all on. Uh, So they end up shooting one of the locals six times in the chest. And then they leave town. So they just run away from everything bad that they do. And Otis really has um, an affection for Henry Lucas. And Henry Lucas, you know, he, like I said, he molests people whenever he feels like it, right? But if he can't have a woman, he decides, "Uh, we can, that's fine. We can become kind of occasional lovers over the years. So they occasionally, Otis would like them to be together, but Lucas gives in and just, he'll have sex with Otis on occasion, which makes Otis, Even more, feel like he's more connected to Lucas, right? And he wants to be with him. So they do become lovers, but they're on very different places with that. You know what I mean? Okay. They end up traveling together a little bit more. They're robbing gas stations in Alabama, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. So they're really traveling. They would shoot any store clerk or customer who got in their way. They also pick up hitchhikers from around... Hitchhikers along their travels and they would rape them. And mainly the raping would be done by Henry Lee Lucas. They raped them. They dumped the bodies in the woods and they varied their killing methods to keep police off their trail. So remember, he read all those files, right? And he's like he would say that he'd have to keep telling Otis, hey, we got to change what we're doing, because if you do the same thing, they're going to know that that's us. So let's change it up. So they would um, they would burn bodies, bury bodies. Leave some of them exposed. They'd rape some. Some they wouldn't. The ages and the sexes, the sex of them varied. They would stab, shoot, and strangle. So, all over the place. Because they didn't want to have the same MO. And that was all about Lucas saying that they needed to mix it up. November 5th, 1978, they stopped alongside the car of two teenagers whose car had run out of gas. They got both teenagers in their car and then pointed a gun at them. The... Male teenager just gave his wallet right away. But then Henry pulled off the road. Otis opened the door, pulled the boy out and shot him. And Otis was really jealous a lot of any other guy that would be around Henry. Right. Because he's like, no, like, I don't want any other person to take his affection away from me. So when the boy tried to run, Otis shot him until he ran out of bullets. So that that poor teenager's dead. Otis gets into the driver's seat and starts to drive the car. They've still got the teenage girl in the back. Henry gets into the back seat with the girl and starts to rape her while Otis is driving. Otis gets pissed and jealous, stops the car, orders the girl out of the car, and shoots her until he runs out of bullets. In 1979, Henry stayed with his half-sister in Maryland, but he left in February after she threatened to report him for sexually molesting her granddaughter. So he leaves town by stealing his nephew's car and he and Otis make it back to Jacksonville. So I guess they feel like they've had enough of a break from Jacksonville and now they're back there again. They couch surf for a bit. They start staying with one of Otis's sisters. And then Henry and Otis, okay, his sister is like, okay, you guys can stay here, but in order to help me out or pull your weight, can you guys babysit my 10 year old twins? Cause that's a great choice for the girls or boys both.
0: Oh, a girl and a boy.
1: Mm -hmm. So 10-year-olds, Frank and Frida. And Henry immediately starts to groom Frida into being molested. He gave her the name Becky, and that's what she goes by now, is Becky. So she's not Frida. And he just gave her lots of attention. He gave her gifts. And in order to stay close to Becky, uh, Henry is like, all right, we're going to start making some money here. So he gets himself and Otis roofing jobs. During 1979, Henry and Otis said they committed hundreds of murders. The most well-known of these murders is that of Deborah Lewis Jackson, 23 years old. She was positively identified in 2019 through DNA. But Before this time, you may have heard of this one, she was only known as Orange Socks. Have you heard Mm -mm. that before? Okay. So, it's because when she was found, she only had on Orange Socks, right? So, they called her Orange Socks. She had been sexually assaulted, strangled, and thrown over a guardrail in Texas, north of Austin. One of the two matchbooks found at the scene was from a hotel in Henrietta, Oklahoma. This was part of the theory that she was a hitchhiker or a drifter. Henry Lee Lucas would later say he killed this woman after after they had consensual sex in a hotel in Oklahoma. He said they drove to Texas and he wanted sex again and she refused, so he killed her by strangulation raped her corpse and threw her over the guardrail. It was later revealed that he had deposited one of his checks from the roofing company that day that she was murdered, um, which would mean he couldn't have committed that crime. Right. Okay. But this alibi, okay. George W. Bush, when he was governor for six years, he pardoned Henry Lee Lucas from death row. And based on this case, orange sucks. And there were 153 other people who were executed that he did not pardon. And Henry Lee Lucas, as we know, probably shouldn't have been pardoned, right? (laughs) But he did only based on this. So we're going to be kind of getting back and forth with some of these cases. But let's go back to Becky. Henry and Otis stayed in Jacksonville. And in 1981, Becky's mother died of a stroke. Becky was now 14. And she's obsessed with Henry. And he felt the same way about her. Becky was placed in foster care because her mom died and her brother was placed in a home for severe mental disabilities. And in 1982, Becky, Otis, and Henry head to Texas together. Becky and Henry begin sleeping together and Otis was of course jealous of this relationship. So, she's part of kind of their little gang now and she either escaped foster care It's not clear or Henry was able to get her out somehow. Because remember, he's like 40 something at this point. She's 14. Six days after taking off with Becky, Henry and Otis claimed to have raped and murdered another woman. They said they dumped the woman's head in Texas and then Otis went back to Florida alone. And this is because Becky caught Otis and Henry having sex and she said that he had to choose and Henry ends up choosing Becky. So Otis heads back to Florida, they're in Texas, and Otis leaves. So that's where they part for now, okay? So now it's just Henry and Becky. So Henry and Becky continue traveling together and end up in Beaumont. They are picked up while hitchhiking by Jack Smart, who's an antique dealer, and he picks them up and even gives them an apartment to stay in. And Henry takes on odd jobs and Jack's shop and home, and Jack believes that Becky is Henry's wife, which is weird because... She definitely looks like she would be his daughter, right? Jack Smart has an 82-year-old mother named Kate Rich, and he needs someone to look after her. And he's like, oh, Becky and Henry are perfect for that, right? So they move to where Kate is, and they do this for Jack. So by the end of the month, though, they're kicked out because Kate's two daughters are like... Okay, wait a second. I think they've been cashing checks with her name on them. So they're committing forgery, and they're totally taking advantage of this poor old woman, right, who had not the best eyesight. So they're like, okay, we got to go. Got to leave here, too, because now we're in trouble for that. So they are hitchhiking again because Otis took the car, by the way. (laughs) That's why they're hitchhiking, because he's like, peace out, going to Florida. You guys don't have a car. (laughs) Yeah. So they begin to hitchhike to California, and they're picked up by a preacher named Reuben Moore. And they find a home at his Pentecostal commune, called the House of Prayer. So Reuben offers them a place to stay if Henry will act as a roofer and general repairman. Becky helps out with chores and Becky becomes devout. She becomes very religious at this point. So she's really into this Pentecostal commune. She starts to really believe and, you know, Henry's like, okay, great. So... She, at this point, she's like, okay, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I feel like I've become religious. Like, I I know it's important. I want to go see my family. Like, I want to go back to Florida. And Henry's like, God, like, I'm not going back to Florida, right? I don't want to do that. I want to stay here. I mean, he's got a place to stay. He's got a job. He doesn't want to go back. So August 24th, 1982, Reuben drives Henry and Becky to a truck stop. And that's where they're going to wait and see if they can get a ride back. Nobody picks him up. So they walk to a field in Denton, Texas, and decide to camp out for the night. And Henry begins trying to talk to Becky, and he's like, let's just go back to the house of prayer. We've got a place to stay. Um, You know, you're really into religion now, blah, blah, blah. He's just working it, trying to say, like, hey, what can we do? And he was scared that if they went back to Florida, all he had done would be found out. Okay, he's like, I'm going to get in trouble if I go back, too. And he claimed that they started arguing, And Becky hit him on the head. And he said he just snapped at this point and stabbed her in the chest. And Henry said he was shocked that he had killed Becky because he really loved Becky. And he started to get turned on when he saw her body. So, of course, he proceeds to have sex with her corpse. Because, like I said, he's very into necrophilia. But he decides to dismember her body scatter the pieces in nearby fields and also put some of the pieces in like um, pillowcases and just toss them in the field because why not? He heads back to the house of prayer and he tells Reuben that Becky took off with the truck driver and left him. And then he is just devastated. And so Reuben's like, okay, just stay here for a while so you can heal and recover. Okay. So now we're going back to Kate, the old lady, old lady. So I guess she had stayed in touch with Becky and she didn't think that Becky was the bad one. She thought Henry was and that he was just a bad influence. So she ends up contacting Henry and she's like, I have not heard from Becky in a long time. So do you know like what's going on? So he's like, well, she left. She went with a trucker and she's heading back to Florida. And Kate was like, hmm, this seems weird. So she kept asking lots of questions and he's like, you know, why don't I take you to church and we can talk more about it? And I'll answer whatever questions you have. And she's like, sounds good. So, he takes her to church one day in mid-September. And, well, he says he's going to take her to church. But instead, he takes her down a dirt road and he stabs her in the chest. He dismembers her body and stuffs her remains in a drainage ditch. And when Kate's neighbors find out that, okay, she hasn't been here for a while, right? And that girl, Becky, she has been reported missing, like, She she never showed up in Florida. Like, where is this girl? So they become suspicious that maybe all of this is connected to Henry Lee Lucas. And they contact authorities. So the local sheriff and one of the Texas Rangers uh, take Henry in for questioning. And he denies knowing anything about this. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So they give him a polygraph test. He passes. He's released. After he is released, he's like, fuck. I have to get her. Well, no, not yet. He wants to get those remains from that drainage ditch, just in case. And he wants to get rid of them. So he goes and grabs the dismembered body, puts pieces in a bag, goes back to the house of prayer because they have an incinerator. And he puts her body in the incinerator and just turns everything into ash. Because he's like, I don't want to get caught for this one, right? All right. He then takes off and says... Uh, that he started to kill and rob again, and that by spring he'd run out of money. So he calls Reuben at the house of prayer, and he's like, "Do you think I could get my old place back? Like I'm, I'm not having a lot of luck here with getting work and blah blah blah." And Reuben's like, "You can always come back here. Like of course you can." All right. Well, Reuben was actually working with the police, and he believed that Henry was in fact the reason why Becky and Kate were both disappeared. So. He's like, I just want to see Henry pay for what he's done. And so, yeah, come back, of course. So, Henry heads back. So, now we're back to Otis really fast. After leaving Henry and Becky in Texas in 1982, he heads back to his sister's house. But not long after, the police show up and question him about his niece, Becky, Frida, and her disappearance from foster care. Because she's only 14. You can't just leave. He said he didn't know, but they end up impounding his car and they tell him not to leave town. So they take his car away. But that doesn't really stop these guys. You no, know? yeah. So for the next year, he goes back to his old ways of crashing in abandoned houses, couch surfing, and setting homes on fire. The next year, 1983, Otis is brought in on arson charges. Finally. He had 20 years for a fire that after he was convicted, he actually said, yeah, I did it. So what he did, a man died in this fire. On January 4th, 1982, Toole barricaded 64-year-old George Sonnenberg in his house. And this is in Jacksonville, Florida. He sets the house on fire. Uh, Otis later signs a confession that he and Sonnenberg had a sexual relationship. They got into an argument. And Otis was so angry that he just barricaded him in and set the house on fire. Otis also confessed to the murder of 19-year-old Ada Johnson in Tallahassee. She'd been shot in the back of the head in a burglary gone wrong. So that's what happened to Otis right now in 83. So let's go back to Lucas, Henry Lee Lucas. June 1983, under the guise of a routine traffic stop, Texas Ranger Phil Ryan found an unregistered pistol in Lucas's car. I don't know how he had a car. He had a car. (coughs) I swear to God. Okay. So Lucas asks Phil Ryan. So Phil is the Texas Ranger. After he brings him in, he's like, oh, you guys know so much about me. I bet you know about the warrant for my arrest. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know about that. And he's like, I didn't know about that. So he starts, like, pretending like he's digging through papers to find it. And he's like, where was that again? Was that Florida? And he's like, no, it was Michigan. He's like, yeah, you're right. It was in Michigan. So he starts contacting people and he gets that warrant. And then he's like, all right, gotcha. So now he's arrested. So good job, Lucas. All right. So he got himself arrested. Pretty much. all right, the ranger gives Lucas cigarettes and coffee and they're being very nice to him and he's being very nice to them, uh, but he doesn't confess. So, they decide they're going to put him in a cell and not talk to him for a while. They're not going to give him his coffee. They're not going to give him his cigarettes. They're going to be like, all right, we're not going to be that nice right now. After a while, Lucas passes us a note to the jailer. He tells them everything about Kate's murder, and he signs a confession. So Kate is the older woman. The next day, the ranger takes Lucas to the site of Kate's murder, and everything is still there. Her glasses, her clothing. I think they found her purse at one point. And so once he starts confessing, it's like he can't stop, right? So he eventually confesses to Becky's murder, and they take him to where Becky's... Becky was murdered, and he's like, oh, well, her legs are over there. And he points over there, and he's like, yeah, in that pillowcase, like, you'll see one over there that has her arms or whatever, right? This day was just, like, horrific. Like, they have to go and, like, pick up literally, like, pieces of this poor girl. All right. So, Lucas is like, okay, he was interviewed a million times, and I'll get into this, but he says that he killed in every way except for poison. All right, so he goes to court. So, Lucas confessed to killing Becky, and killing Kate. And he starts breaking down and crying about Becky because he's like, I killed the only person I ever loved, right? Well, she was also a child. Uh, statutory rape. Yes. So that was statutory rape, and I guess he couldn't figure that out. Anyway, <laughs> he's sitting on the witness stand and he says to the judge, Well, Judge, what are we gonna do about the hundred other women that I killed? Mm hmm. <laughs> what? Oh my God. <laughs> So, everybody was shocked. They were like, oh my God, okay. So, over the next, over the following months, he, con- he would confess to hundreds and hundreds of murders. So, in 1984, the Texas Rangers, under the advisement of Colonel Adams, formed the Lucas Task Force. Force led by Phil Ryan and Bob Prince. And they are both Texas Rangers. And they are trying to solve murders that were tied to Henry Lee Lucas. They wanted to learn his MO, his traveling habits, etc. Right. So they set up an interview room and Lucas called this room his office. And they had a video camera and they were taping interviews and confessions. And there were over 1000 officers over the course of this task force that would come to Henry Lee Lucas and interview him because he, they would show him uh something and he'd say yeah i did that. Ryan would give Lucas a pencil and he'd be like all right just draw what it draw the crime draw this person whatever. He would draw detailed pictures um of the the victim of the alleged victim, and they were really precise. He'd include eye color. Uh, There were notes all on the side of his drawings that were like she was wearing this. Um, This is where I killed her. I killed her by shooting or stabbing or whatever. Tons of tons of details. Uh, Texas Ranger Glenn Elliott said, I remember him trying to cop to one he didn't do, but there was another murder case where I'll kiss your butt If he didn't lead us right to the deer stand where the murder took place. Ain't no way he could have guessed that. And I'm damn sure didn't. And I damn sure didn't tell him. So that's the problem. Some of them were so precise that he's like right there. And the other ones he was just like in left field. But he still was like saying he did all this shit. Right. So this task force eventually clears 213 previously unsolved murders. And they blame them on Henry Lee Lucas. All right, this is wacky. At one point, a Japanese film crew comes to the jail to see Lucas, and they bring him a paint set as a present, and they tell him how famous he is in Japan, and his smile is from ear to ear, right? He's so happy, because no one ever paid any attention to this guy. Mm -hmm. He had the shittiest childhood on the planet. He never knows where his next meal is coming from. He doesn't know where he's going to sleep. He fucking grew up in a chicken fucking This is all
0: recorded on that documentary. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Because I saw this part. Yes.
0: And the filmmakers
1: were like, "You guys, you've been all over the place. Like you are so like you totally are like a world, like well not a world, but like a nationwide traveler." And he's like, "Oh well, I've got some victims where you're from too." And they're like, "How did you get there?" He's like, "Well, I drove, of course. This is Japan." Yeah. So. That to me, this whole thing is kind of sad. I feel like, like, part of me feels bad for him. But I know he did horrible, horrible, horrible things. So I don't feel bad for any of that. Like, that's shit. But <clears throat> because he was never thought of as anything, and he has all of these issues with, like, head trauma and just his fucking horrible childhood. Maybe it's because of am a mom and I'm thinking of, like, him as a little boy. Oh, it's just fucking horrible. And then, like, how does he even have a chance? He's beat on right. his fucking head. He's, like, seriously has no impulse control. He, I mean, he made some horrible, horrible mistakes but also this whole investigation is a disservice to everybody including him i don't understand how this was let to go on for so long it's like a fucking circus don't you agree it's so stupid it just bothers me so okay in november 1983 he was transferred to williamson county texas where he confessed to 213 murders the question why he did confess to so many murders um you know, he didn't mind being incarcerated, right? Like I said, he didn't have to worry about where he was getting his meal. He had somewhere to sleep. He had a television in his cell. He had coffee, had cigarettes. They uh, He had more visitors than ever. He was like a celebrity in his with all the inmates. He just loved the attention. Um, he got to travel across country. They'd like take him on planes, and he'd be like, yeah, that's the site. And he'd get fast food. He... He was saying like, hey, they couldn't solve these without me. And they're his friends now, you know? And they just, I mean, like I said, he got a fucking paint set. Like, who gives you a gift? Like, I I mean, they gave him strawberry milkshakes, which he loved, like, all the time. He was just given everything. He considered his interview room his office. I mean, it was just, like I said, a disservice to everyone involved. In December of 1983, Tool hears that Lucas is getting all kinds of perks for these confessions. And they end up talking on the phone in four separate uh, little snippets that you can find uh, if you search for them. And he tells Otis, like he's like, it is okay to tell the truth, right? I just want to play a little bit so you can kind of hear how they talk to one another. And yeah, it's, it's just weird, so.
2: Anybody might say, or anybody might do. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. And... I feel myself, you Now I don't know whether this is your feeling, but I feel if we are honest, that when we leave here, yeah, wherever we go, we'll still be together. Oh, yeah. And it's your decision. Yeah, uh, you know, well, because I think about you all the time. Well, I do, too. I've got your picture down here myself. Well, i got yours, too. So... Uh, I mean, it's uh I mean it's a friendship artist that won't it is you be. Keep talking loud you keep faith down. Uh, it's a telephone really. Uh, what I'm trying to say to you is I want you to be honest. Yeah. And I want you to tell the truth. <clears throat> Those things have got to be done. And also if You want, like I said, if you want to denounce the hands of God, the devil, in other words, it's your decision. And that decision, if you want to do it, it'll cost you your life. Yeah. And you fully understand it. Oh, yeah. Now, like I said, I've told them what I've done. Yeah. And only what I've done. And i told them where we've traveled at, i told them where we've been and the things that uh, I've done myself, I've admitted to it. Yeah. And uh, He's stayed out again, Hibby. Well, uh, has uh, Terry told you what all the circumstances is? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I want to make sure you understand. Well, I ain't got nothing left no more, you know. Well, I ain't either. I mean... <laughs> well, I didn't do it, you know. Well. You didn't do any of it? I said I didn't do it, for it the stint. Well, I know that. You see, uh, if you admitted that something you didn't do is wrong, you understand that. What I want you to do is just to tell the truth. If I've been involved in something, you tell the truth. You understand? Don't hold back because of me.
1: I feel like from that, you can really tell that, you know, Henry Lee Lucas is in charge of this relationship. Otis cares about him in a different way than Lucas cares about him. You can tell that. And it's also very interesting that he's like, you have to tell the truth. I've said what I've done, but he's also said that he's done tons and tons of things that I don't think he's done, right? In 1984, investigators start to doubt the truthfulness of Lucas and his admissions to every case that's set before him. So there's a Dallas detective Linda Irwin and the same Texas Ranger Phil Ryan and they start making up inventing cases and Lucas confesses. So they're not real and he's saying he did them. At times an unsolved crime would be sent to the Lucas task force And they actually might let him read it. So kind of like the files before. Right. They let him read it and then he's questioned about it. So they give him a file. He studies it, gives back and then they start asking him questions. And then they're like, oh, he knows it all. So then he confessed to it. So since he gave all of the details, uh, you know, they just weaved a confession together for this. So. It's kind of like, they don't believe some things, they're inventing things to be like, oh, I don't think he's being truthful, and then other things are like, we have to solve this shit. Let's let him look at this case, right? And let's just, you know, if he can weave his confession together, like, we're good. (laughs) Some of these confessions, though, this, a reporter in 1985 was like, Henry Lee Lucas would have had to drive 11,000 miles in one month to commit all of these crimes. Come on. And just all of the ones he confessed to, they're like, no way. And at one point they asked him if he had taken part in the Jonestown murders in Guyana. And at one time he said he did. He said that he and Otis supplied Jim Jones with the poison that he used. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Well, yeah. And remember before he said, I've killed everybody in every way but except never for poison. i
0: poisoned anybody. So
1: it's constant, contradictive statements. More investigations started to go into the confessions of both Lucas and Tool and they were found to be false because of they found work records, phone records, uh, depositing checks at a certain time that a murder would take place. They have bank records of them depositing checks like states and states away. Even at one point during some of these phone conversations, Lucas and Tool say that they're part of an organization or cult called the Hands of Death and that they would receive phone calls. At pay phones by a satanic leader who would give them the details of who what and where to go to kill in order to have pain and discourse on earth and they said that ted bundy was also part of their group this is another one that a lot of people say is pretty far-fetched but they say that Otis, and they said this over the phone to each other ate his victims but lucas did not partake tool said the victims taste the same as a roasted piglet Boys and girls taste the same when you roast them at like 8 or 10 years old. The flavor is a shade different when they're teenagers. The boys are gamier than the girls. Give me the roasted meat of a boy age 14 and a girl age 14, and I can tell the difference when you use a spicy sauce. A lot of people said that if this is truthful, like they highly, highly doubt it, right? It's just got more and more crazy. In 1986, there was a study conducted by Texas Attorney, Texas Attorney General's office called the Lucas study. It was a detailed timeline of Lucas's claimed murders, and they compared what Lucas said to the other verified reports, and the confession usually conflicted with other reports. It was said that when Lucas was confessing to all of these murders, nothing was done. Attorney General Jim Maddox wrote that when Lucas was confessing to hundreds of murders, those in custody of Lucas did nothing to end this hoax. They believe the officials cleared cases just to get them off the books, and they were at there were at least 193 cases out of those 213 that should still be open, but were closed due to the confession of Henry Lee Lucas. Lucas was convicted of 12 murders in total and sentenced to death. He ended up dying of natural causes with, um, it was heart failure in 2001. While in prison, he changed his story and said he'd killed nobody at all. (laughs) Otis Toole was convicted of six murders and died in prison in 1996 of cirrhosis of the liver at age 49. Wow. In 2008, authorities officially named Toole, this is nuts, as the likely killer of Adam Walsh, the son of John Walsh. Yeah. From Unsolved Mysteries. Toole claimed to have picked up Adam Walsh in a Sears parking lot on July 27, 1991, He said he offered the little boy toys and candy and that Adam came willingly. But then he started crying and said he wanted to go home and Tool, Otis just punched him in the face. And he kept crying more and more and more. So Otis beat him and then pulled over and decapitated him with a machete. He drove around the car for several days with the little boy's head in the car and he forgot it was there. So then when he remembered it was there, he tossed it into a canal. Police later... Lost, Tool's impounded car when he they picked him up for arson. And if they would have had his car, they would have been able to further investigate this crime. Uh, Tool confessed to the crime in 1983 and later recanted his confession. But John Walsh believed that Tool was in fact the murderer of his son, because all they did find was his head. Remember, so there is a chance that Lucas and Tool did in fact commit hundreds of murders. There is also a ton of conflicting information because they change their stories constantly. There's no telling how much of Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole's story is true. A district attorney named Ken Anderson, who prosecuted Lucas, said he believed the murder had killed anywhere from three people to a dozen people. He said, I don't think he knew exactly exactly. It's difficult to imagine you can even rely on anything he said, but the fact remains he was serial killer, even though we are unable to pinpoint the exact number. The real number of murders may never be known, and the potentially false confessions from the killers had horrifying consequences for family members of murdered victims. And in most cases, you know there was no evidence other than the confession that tied Henry Lee Lucas to the murders he was confessing to. So these families went from feeling like they had closure to... And knowing that Lucas and uh, Toole were behind bars and then they started questioning, like, who killed their loved ones? And did somebody just get away with killing all these 193 people? Because if that's not Henry Lee Lucas, who did it, you know, and did they ever get caught? We have no idea. So the real killers behind some of these fake confessions might still be out there. Someone got away with murder and some families are lobbying to get these cases reopened. Years and years later. So that is the story I have for you today. Yikes. It was a lot. How do you feel? Do you feel bad for these people
0: at all? It makes me wonder if they even really did anything.
1: Well, we know he killed Becky for sure. And he killed Kate.
0: We do know that.
1: And he killed his mom. So those are three people that are definite. And Otis. Killed the salesman, the traveling salesman. And he was definitely, like, he skipped town for a lot of those other ones, right? And he did kill the guy in the house. With With the arson. Yeah, with the arson. So they definitely each committed at least three murders.
0: But how many did they commit together? How truthful was that? It's just like as soon as they started getting attention for it, that's why he just started admitting to anything and everything.
1: Yeah. He, But, you know, what made me feel so, like, just kind of bad is, like, like I said earlier, he had he never felt any sort of, like, I don't know, like, happiness or being included. And all of a sudden, he was, like, a freaking celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. Gave him anything and everything he needed. He flew places. I mean, did he have a fly before? Probably not. So, he would stay in hotels. He'd get fast food. He'd get strawberry milkshakes, coffee, had a TV. Um, people would visit him all the time. And he was like, yeah. Like, I even have a Japanese film crew. What the fuck? This is amazing. So, even in the beginning of the story, you know, he when he went to his first juvenile detention center, that was better than home life. So, that started to really come into fruition, I feel like, when he was getting all this attention. Right. And so, yeah, they were. he was like, they can't solve murders without me. So, I'm super important. And he didn't want to let that go. And then Otis is like, wait a second. He wasn't very smart, but he was like, okay, I'm not getting any of this shit. Like, and then Henry's like, I got to call Otis. And then he's like, you can go ahead and confess, you know, anything. I just want to, I just want you to be honest, you know, like anything you want to say, like I've said it and now you can say it too. So he's like giving him permission, like planting the seed. Yeah. So Otis never got the attention that Henry Lucas did, but you know, he was still a vital player in this whole thing.
0: I don't even know what to say. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Any final thoughts at all? On uh, that was just that was a lot to process, and I feel <laughs> like I'm still processing it. It might take a while. Yeah i've been I've been researching this one for for a while. So. I just remember watching that documentary, and it was the part like I started it, and it was the part where Henry Lee Lucas has like the film crew come in and give him the paint set, and he's just, like, you can tell he's just marveling over the attention. He was smiling from ear to ear. And I didn't even end up giving it a chance. I didn't even end up, like... Because I was like, I feel like this dude just fucking made all this shit up. Like, I wasn't even sure that he did anything at that point. I was like, I'm not... I'm done. I can't deal with this. He's hard to look at anyway. You know, I feel bad, too. Like, this one... um,
1: He was a... I think he's an author, and he he maybe think he's the one that got the film crew to go see him and he was like he is a pathetic looking man he's like he is scrawny he smells he has three teeth maybe he has a droopy glass eye like I mean this guy is just like the epitome of like no one cares and then you know and he knows this and then as soon as he gets this attention it's like it just builds this esteem that he never had so that's why I feel bad and I feel bad that they used that they used his intellectual disabilities they used pretty much his like horrific past to give him a sense of purpose which right. also was a disservice to all his families yeah and maybe there's someone crazy out there who never got caught right i'm sure i don't think that they killed all 993 yeah but they needed to stop focusing on like the lucas task force Like, stop. Like, let's try and broaden this a little bit. Let's use something other than your coerced confession to uh, close a case. Yeah. And that's why the orange socks thing, there was only his confession. There was no DNA. There was nothing. But his confession is why he got uh, convicted of orange socks. And that's why Bush pardoned. I didn't let him out. He
0: well, but he pardoned him from from being the death from death, death row.
1: Yeah. yeah, so he just had to be life in prison, and he didn't care. He's like, "Hey, give me some more milkshakes." Anyway, I don't know. I'm interested in hearing everybody's thoughts on this one because I am definitely torn. Like, I, I do not think that I am saying what he did was okay because it absolutely is not. Like, absolutely, 100 percent did some horrible evil shit. But there are some fundamental
0: problems throughout this entire case. In my opinion. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, him getting beat by his mom initially and, like, causing all the brain injuries and stuff. Like, she kind of turned him into who he turned out to be. You know what I mean? And this started for both of these guys around, like, four or five years old. All right. Well, that was a rough one. Yeah,
1: that was a rough one. But, yeah. All right. Oh, boy. (laughs) Let's move on to happier things.
0: Is it, though? (laughs) No, it's not. All right. Let's move on to trivia. Okay. Trivia. All right. So last week's question was, who served time for killing children, then was released and began murdering prostitutes? And what was their nickname? And the answer is Arthur Shawcross, and he was the Genesee River Killer. Weird. I may have spelled that wrong. How do you spell it? G-E-N-E-S-E-E. Okay.
1: You mean you may have said it wrong?
0: Said it wrong. Yes, okay. not spelled it wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, and nobody got that one this okay. time. It's a hard so, one. Yeah. Hopefully these questions are going to start getting... Uh, more challenging. More challenging. Yeah. So, this week's question is, which Canadian serial killer was controversially given an old age security pension? What? Okay. Interesting. Yeah, what... <laughs> Why on
1: earth, Why? Why would you need? Were you in jail?
0: We don't know. Okay, we're not going to talk about. it. People just have to. Look Old it. age security pension while yeah, he in jail. Had to have been in jail. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, and that question actually comes from our friend Crimology and his book, The Number One Serial Killer Quiz Book, which you can get on Amazon. Woohoo! Um, yeah. So we'll give you the answer next week. Okay interesting okay Mm -hmm. sounds good
1: all right thanks guys for uh you know getting through this one with us (laughs) because it was a lot but these couple uh serial killers are so interesting like how they you know uh meet each other how they're sometimes especially in this case they're backgrounds are so similar and it's like they're almost like drawn to each other like magnets you know Mm -hmm. and it's just so interesting so anyway we have some more of these coming your way we're excited to bring those to you and thank you again for listening uh subscribe share rate review share 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 all right well as always remember don't get in the van. van